we'll be, we will be reading 1 Samuel 1. The birth of Samuel. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zophite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Peninnah, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he will give a double portion, because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on for year after year. And whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting in a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying and grieving here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the Lord God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they rose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel saying, because I asked the Lord for him. When her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy's wind, I will take him and present him before the Lord and he will live there always. 
Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah, a flower and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I ask of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. We're actually going to stop there. We're going to join in with Hannah and her prayer after that amazing transformation just over the page in chapter 2. So can I ask you to stand and we're going to read this prayer together. Let's stand and we're going to read chapter 2 verses 1 to 11 together. Stand if you're able. Let's read together. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. <clears throat> no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly, or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken. But those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food. But those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children. But she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and makes them inherit a throne of honour. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah and the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. Amen. Oh, Please have a seat there. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, I thank you uh, for gathering us this morning and for this beautiful story of Hannah, our uh, Lord, and her ability, Lord, to trust in you uh, with so much grief upon her heart. And Lord, we thank you for that song of gratitude, uh, for that song of trust that she uh, sang to you. And Lord, you've had written down for our hearts this morning. 
And I pray, Lord, that you would apply that to us uh, by your Holy Spirit, that we would be comforted. Amen. Amen. So we are looking at uh, women of faith in the Bible, and we come here to a God who changes great grief into great gratitude in the story of Hannah. Uh, And the aim here is that we would bring our grief to Jesus, that we would bring our grief to Jesus. The reason why you want to listen this morning is to experience the reversal of grief to gratitude that Hannah has. It's the promise that we started with in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Not they might be, but they will. And my prayer is that we would be comforted this morning by seeing a God who reverses grief into great gratitude in Jesus. Um, I uh, was on a phone call with John Shepherd about a week and a half ago. Uh, about that, I can't remember. I'm not sure why he rang me, uh, but he asked me how it was going. And I said, well, to be honest, John, it's been a little bit of a hard week. Uh, and I, I re- regaled him with the, the several deaths, uh, you know, miscarriage, marriages on the rocks. Uh, and he said to me, oh, gosh, Ed, you really carry that stuff with you, don't you, as a, as a minister? And I started to cry. Because you do. There is great grief all around us, isn't there? And you sort of carry it sometimes, and then when someone just, when someone just expresses how you feel, suddenly it sort of comes out a bit, doesn't it? <coughs> but here we've got a woman in verse 7. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her arrival, pro- her arrival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. And if you recognise a grief that is so strong, tears that are so numerous, that you are unable to eat. When did you last cry? When did you last pour your soul out to the Lord? I'm not talking about the kind of ordinary crying. I'm a bit of a sucker for crying, to be honest. It can be a Disney film. And um, the kids were watching in the car on the way back um, uh, frozen, and there's a point where the sort of cute, cuddly snowman is melting for someone else. And you know, that brings a little tear to the eye. I'm not really talking about that. I'm talking about kind of this big stuff, the big stuff at home, the outward things that you've got at home, the grief, the longing, the shattered dreams, or maybe it's the inward stuff in you. It, it, it's the sin that doesn't seem to want to go away. It's the anger that's broken a relationship. It's the frustration that I'm still struggling with that particular sin. Or maybe it's the big stuff in the world, looking at Syria and Turkey, uh, and the, just the heart-rending pictures that are coming out of that place, and the stories as well. Or maybe it's Ukraine and Russia. It just makes you weep that your homeland is involved in that in some way. Maybe it's the police brutality it has been on the news recently. I don't know. We live in a good world. We live in a good world, but it groans as in the pains of childbirth because of sin and the effects of sin. It's not a perfect world. What's God got to say about all that grief? Probably going to use this a couple of times. The Bible is real about grief. Often with religion, it's an escape form of escapism. You go to the sort of high church kind of service because it makes you feel okay. 
Uh, Buddhism tells you, you just reflect long enough, you'll realize that actually your pain and anguish just aren't, they're just an illusion. Um, but the Bible is real about grief. And so here is a book, 1 Samuel, that starts with tears of a woman. What a weird way to start a book. And in part, that's because her tears represent the tears of a whole nation. The book before this uh, in history, uh, in, the, in the chronological history of Israel, has been Judges, which has been an absolute disaster of uh, a failed people with failed leadership, but with a God who hangs on to them. But it looks like all the promises that God made to Abraham and his nation that, has, that he's produced aren't going to come true. So, you know, the whole world, uh, sin entered through Adam and Eve. There's a fall. It looks terrible, but God sticks with his people. He picks a people and he promises them through Abraham, I will make you my people in my place under my rule. And then it looks like all that's happening as they enter the promised land in Joshua, but then Judges tells us that it all goes horribly wrong. And it looks like the promises of God are not going to come true and that only grief remains. And so here at the start of the book that talks about something of the solution that God is going to provide, we get a picture of the tears of a nation in Hannah. Having seen the horror of sin and suffering, uh, that's what we've got here. So what's God got to say about that grief? Well, in this story, he gives us a little picture of what he's going to do with his people. And so with us later on as his people. And that picture is, is that he's a God who reverses grief into gratitude in Christ. He is a God who, who does comfort those who mourn. That's what we get reassured here. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through this story so you can see the picture of Hannah's grief being turned to gratitude. And then we're going to see a couple of things about God that are going to help us, I pray, in our grief. So look with me first of all. We're going to look at Hannah's grief, then we're going to look at God's grace, and then we're going to look at Hannah's gratitude. Here's Hannah's grief. What do we start with in this passage? We start with um, a Zophite. It's a hilarious name, isn't it? But the point is, is actually, that this, he's a bit of a nobody. As an ordinary bloke, and in verse 2 we see uh, an ordinary mess. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Uh, and it, it's a mess, isn't it? It's, he's, picked, he's not living his life according to the biblical way of being married. It's not denounced actually here because it's not the main point. But as we read through this story, we see the pain and the anguish of it, don't we? And in verse 3, what are they doing? Well, year after year, it's been happening for ages, uh, this man went up to, uh, from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. Shiloh is where the tabernacle, the tent of the meeting with the Lord, has, that's where it's stopped. After they've travelled through the desert with this tent where the Lord dwells over the top, uh, they've arrived uh, in the promised land in, in Joshua, and the tent of the meeting of the Lord uh, is arrived at Shiloh. And so every year... These families who go up and they celebrate, they have this kind of family meal and a family meal with God uh, in this tent. And that's what's going on here uh, with Elkanah and his uh, quite large family. So imagine like an annual family meal that's going on here, a bit like, you know, a sort of Christmas meal or something like that. 
and with all the associated joy and pain. They're good times, aren't they, those family meals? But they can also be the worst times. And we get a bit of both here, don't we? It's really rubbed in for us the obvious pain to Hannah of not having any children. Uh, whenever the day uh, came for Akana to sacrifice, verse 4, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. Can you hear how that's really rubbed in? Anyone had that when you're, you're sat at the Christmas table and you know, you've your whole family there? Maybe you're the single one and everyone else there is married and you go around doing what you... Oh yeah, what did you do for your half-term? What did you do for your, your half-term break? Oh, uh, oh, and what did you... Oh, you probably didn't do half-term. It, it's, it's really rubbed in here, isn't it? Hannah's grief at not having children and this family time with God really rubs it in. And it's made all the more painful through the kindness that uh, Elkanah tries to show his wife when he, he gives her a double portion, doesn't he? Um, because the Lord uh, had closed, uh, uh, oh, sorry, where is it? <clears throat> oh, he'd give portions of meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. So it's that, that kind of, I'm trying to be kind, but actually I'm just making it worse. Any of you ever experienced that here at church with, you know, your bereavement, with, uh, with your... Um, singleness with your same-sex attraction with your miscarriage your childlessness you come to church and people try to be kind it just kind of makes it worse doesn't it slightly painful that's where Hannah is here and did you notice what the cause of it is at the end of verse 7 and the Lord had closed her womb God's in control he sends both light and dark he's in control of this situation and it's been going on for so long. Can you imagine what Hannah's thinking? We've been doing this for year after year. Maybe next year when I pray. Maybe this year. But it's even worse, isn't it? Because what happens is, is Peninnah sticks the knife in. She really goes for it, doesn't she? She, um, uh, verse 7, this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her. She provoked her. Isn't that awful? Just kneeling away, you know, talking about what the kids have been doing. You know, oh, you know what, um, talking, talking about uh, you know, how they're getting on at school. Talking on about their, their successes uh, without any kind of, kind of care of, actually, you would love to have children, but you don't. And she's deliberately doing it. Have you ever experienced that awfulness? it's kind of deliberately slightly subtly rubbed in your face whatever your grief is whether you're a widow whether you're single it's awful isn't it it's so bad that Hannah wept and would not eat we read in verse 7 and then her husband just sort of makes it even worse doesn't it with even more crass kindness in verse 8 her husband Elkanah would say to her Hannah why are you weeping why don't you eat why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? It's kind of a typical bloke response, isn't it? It's kind of about me. I'm great. Surely I'm great. But he loves her, doesn't he? He loves her. So he, he wants to give her food. And he, he doesn't want her to be downcast. But 
put his foot in it, hasn't he? He's not helping. Well, what's, what's your response at this point? What's your response to your great grief at this point? At the family meal? Do you lash out? Do you start plotting revenge? Do you simply despair? Do you resort to an escapism where you isolate yourself from your family and anyone else for fear of being uh, hurt more? Do you just get, get home and get on the Netflix? Do you get the drugs out, the drink or the porn or whatever it is that you rationalise you need in order to make it better? You know, it can be so difficult to know what to do with our grief. It, tears are an embarrassment, aren't they? And no one wants to be the person that ruins the fun and burdens other with our grief, because it is a burden. No one wants to do that. And so more often than not, how are you? I'm fine. But you're not. In fact, you're so far from being fine that sometimes you can't even get the tears out to grieve whatever it is you're grieving. Well, look, what's Hannah's response here? What does she do? You've seen Hannah's grief, but now look how she seeks out God's grace. What's Hannah's response? She takes her grief to the Lord. So in verse 10, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Do you see what she does? She says, God can handle my grief and my anger. I'll go to him. He is the one who's in control. And he is the one that can sort all things. And so I will go to him. I long for a, a change in our culture here at Emmanuel where we need it. And in British culture. Uh, maybe in our home groups or after church or in our homes. Where we can help one another to go to the Lord like Hannah with tears. Where we can weep bitterly with one another. That's one of the reasons why we're doing Psalms of Emotion at the evening service. We're going to be doing one not tonight, but next week on lamenting, which just means bringing our tears to God. Isn't Hannah's, uh, you know, bringing it to the Lord again after years and years? It's an expression of trust by Hannah, isn't it? An expression of intimacy with God, an expression of humility. Do you see the way that she prays? And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son. Can you hear her tone? It's not arguing for what is rightfully hers, but it's a servant asking for the grace of God. Bring your grief to God. Bring your grief to God. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And Hannah's prayer here is an echo of a whole nation's grief. You see in verse 11 she says, remember me, remember your servant's misery. So both of that remember and misery, they're the same words that God uses in the Exodus. When God's people are oppressed and slaves and in absolute misery, uh, and so we're, we're made to think here by those words that this is a picture of a bigger story, but also that she remembers what God was like, that she remembered the grief of her people formerly. 
and that he did something about it because God is in control and he is a God who reverses grief to gratitude. So she's building that into her prayer and helping us to see a bigger picture at the same time. And what a prayer to pray. Do you see what she prays for this child? Do not forget your servant, but give her a son. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. I will give this child to the Lord for all the days of his life. That's a prayer that we should pray for one another's children and we should pray for our own children. They're not ours. They belong to the Lord. What a prayer. You imagine, um, can you imagine, do you pray for your children to be on a mission field where there's no hope of marriage? Do you, do you pray that you would give them over to the Lord like that, as she does here? It's a wonderful expression of trust and grace, isn't it? So great is her grief, uh, it's almost unspeakable, even in prayer. Can you see that? As she seeks the grace of God, her grief is just almost overwhelming. As she kept on praying to the Lord in verse 12, Eli observed her mouth. Another bloke putting his foot in it. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought that she was drunk. Are you drunk? Not so, my Lord. She replies in an utterly rational voice, doesn't she? She is totally rational, even though her grief is overwhelming. And she says, I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. When did you last pour out your soul to the Lord? That's what it means to seek God's grace, is to pour your soul out to the Lord. And so it looks like you're, you're drunk. That's shocking, isn't it? I think we don't do that very well in this country. It's awful, isn't it, watching as Syria and Turkey unfold and you see women particularly, and men, just pouring their souls out with their grief. I was pouring my soul out to the Lord, seeking God's grace. And then here comes God's grace. Have a look at this. Uh, Eli answered, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant you what you've asked him. Verse 17, verse 18. Uh, May your servant find favour in your eyes. Here's the reversal. It's not the child arriving. Then she went away and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Read verse 7. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Now she eats something and her face is not downcast. She doesn't even know if her prayer has been answered. But the grace of God has been applied to her. As she has turned to the Lord with her grief, she has received this grace. And the gratitude has already started. It's a bit like, you know, when a child falls over, you might have experienced as a child, you fall over and you scrape your knee and it hurts. And then you get a hug from your parents. It still, it still hurts, but somehow it's better, isn't it? It's a bit like that. That's what happened here. Um, I have a, a much-loved grandmother in Christ at our last church called Olga, who has chronic pain uh, and a fast-diminishing world of old age. I've known her for a long time. And I asked her, Olga, how do, you, how do you keep going? And she says, when I'm feeling down, I pick up my Bible and I go to my Lord. 
just like Hannah has done here, seeking his grace. And then the next grace that we have, isn't it, is the new life. God remembers Hannah. The same word for remembering his people um, in uh, verse 19 at the end. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son and she named him Samuel. God grants this new life uh, as a course of this, this reversal of grief. And the grief becomes thankfulness. And that's chapter two that we read. This amazing outpouring of gratitude to God because of his grace at reversing her grief. And so uh, the challenge, I think, for Hannah, for us, is will we take our grief uh, to the Lord? Will we take our grief to the Lord? And will we allow him to transform it into gratitude? And there are two big principles in chapter two that I think help us, and they've already featured a bit in chapter one. There are two big principles that help us to do that. Number one, God is in control. You've got to remember in your grief that God is in control. It's so interesting, isn't it, that her prayer in chapter two starts with rejoice in the Lord, not in the child given. That's interesting, isn't it? That's a great principle for all of us. Not to rejoice in what God gives us, but to enjoy the giver. And she rejoices in the Lord because of his, uh, my mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. What odd language. She's picking up the language again from Exodus. What God did for for the Israelites in Exodus, God has done for me. And so she says to us, God will do for you because he is in control. See verse 2, there is no one holy like the Lord, there is no one beside you, there is no rock like our God. Or verse 8, at the end, the foundations of the earth are the Lord's, on them he has set the world. See, in a world out of control, your world might be out of control. Hannah says, look at me, God's in control of of it all, in control of your suffering, in control of the world's mess, he is the person to go. So we look at our church across this nation, it's in a total mess, isn't it? Because we look at how hard it is to live for the gospel. Maybe, maybe you're just clinging on to life yourself. Don't give up because God is in control and he is a God who reverses grief to gratitude. You have to think about Jesus on the cross for that, don't you? There is the greatest grief reversed to the, most, the thing that I'm most grateful for. The second thing that we see is that God will work things out. Not only is he in control of our grief and the future of it, but God has promised he will work things out. Hannah reflects what God has done for her. And she reflects in that what God will do on a grand scale. Sin and the effects of sin are everywhere. Earthquakes, the agony of childlessness, bereavement. And Hannah's story reminds us it will not be forever. It's a picture of the great reversal. See all the reversals in this uh, chapter 2, verse 5. Those who were full hired themselves out for food, but those who were hungry were hungry no more. Or uh, or the end of verse 5. She who was barren has borne seven children. Verse 6. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and he raises up. Uh, Can you see the reversal in verse 8 as well? He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. 
He seats them with the princes and makes them inherit a throne of honour. And even when it comes to justice in verse 10, those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. Can you hear the future? There's something coming where God will reverse all this, where he will bring justice finally. And we're left at the end of it thinking, well, how will he do that? Are you, just, are you going to give me the child that I long for, like Hannah? Are you going to solve all my grief? How are you going to do this? Well, the answer is at the end of verse 10. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. This whole book of 1 Samuel is about the raising up of a king who is going to sort God's people out. It's the anointing of David, but it all goes wrong with David. And so the prophets come afterwards and they speak of another king who's going to come, a perfect king. And then amazingly, in a story very similar to this, uh, Elizabeth and Zachariah have this miraculous child called John who is to herald that king. It's a story almost exactly like this. And then an angel appears to Mary and says, you are going to bear that king, the son of God. And then Mary prays her Magnificat. And it's almost exactly the same as what Hannah prays here. Because God does all this through his king. That's through Jesus. He reverses all grief to gratitude through Jesus. The Lord's Supper that we're about to celebrate is remembering that great reversal of sinful becoming sinless, of those who are perishing, inheriting life, of those who have nothing but judgment, getting the kingdom of heaven. And this story of Hannah reminds us of that and paints a picture of, look, what will you do? Will you take your grief to God, who reverses that grief to great gratitude? Will you bring that to Jesus? Because what Jesus tells us, isn't he, is that time is running out on our grief. Time is running out on our grief, that it will be changed. And so if you're younger here today, like the youth, you've got to work out, where, what are you going to do with the big griefs that come for you? What are you going to do with them? Who are you going to take them to? Hannah says, take your grief to the one person who's in control of everything. And the one person who has shown that they are going to reverse every grief. Our confidence that God will reverse every grief to gratitude is as real as Jesus rising from the dead, isn't it? That's where you want to go. So are you weeping at the minute? Bring it to the Lord and be comforted in Christ. We've got an opportunity for that coming up with Nigel's funeral, haven't we? I pray that that would be a great time for us to bring our grief to the Lord and the many griefs that we carry. Maybe we need to weep more over our sin and be grieved by it and bring it to the Lord and trust him to reverse that grief into gratitude because that is what he has promised. We are not promised a perfect marriage or perfect kids. We are not promised a life without sickness and tears. But we are promised that grief will come to an end and that we have a God who's in control and who will sort that grief out. Blessed are those who are mourned, for they will be comforted. That's not a sop, but as real as the reversal of the resurrection. 
So as we gather to this table now with the Lord's Supper, I pray that you would bring your tears like me and that you would receive Jesus, remembering that he is in control and that he is already in the process of reversing our grief to gratitude by his death as he brings that day near on that final day. And that's a question I pray that you would talk about afterwards. What grief do you need to take to Jesus? What grief have you already taken to Jesus and you've seen him produce gratitude in you? That's what we're going to try and talk about afterwards. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we thank you, uh, Heavenly Father, for your words to us and for the very precious life of Hannah and the way, Lord, that amongst ordinary mess and huge grief, she sought your grace and received gratitude and comfort. I praise you, Lord, that that's a picture of what you were already doing with your people all over the world and what you do in each one of our individual lives through the grace of Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, to grieve with one another and to seek your grace and to know the gratitude uh, of this sure hope we had in Christ. Uh, bless us now, I pray, as we pray to you, uh, and Lord, as we enjoy your Lord's Supper. Amen.